my man. Oh my God. Oh my God. Dirty Kurt. <laughs> oh man. Dreams come true, bro. One of my favorite people on planet Earth, boy. Dreams come true, bro. Dreams come true. One of true. my favorite people on planet Earth. Earth. Don't make a thug cry. Don't make no, a thug for real, cry. Dog. Uh, come on. I can miss a whole lot of people. You ain't one of them. Wow. No. Wow. They can take a lot of people off this earth right here. <laughs> I don't lose no sleep. I ain't going to the funeral. They ask me to say nothing. I ain't sitting there. I ain't putting up flowers. <laughs> they can't call me and tell me Dirty Kirk missing. I ain't, I ain't gonna understand that. <laughs> Man, this is a dream come true. Thank you, sir. Brothers and sisters, my name is Kirk Franklin, and I come to give you good words. Let's go. Oh man, ladies and gentlemen, I cannot tell you the level of gratitude and humility and thankfulness that I have today because I have a mentor with me. I have one of my heroes, one that has been so instrumental in my own career, but you know him. You've seen him on your television screen. And speaking of television, he's got about 75,000 shows on TV right now. And I'm sure he's got, you know, more in the works. And, and if that's not enough, you can hear his voice on radio, books. He's got many books. A lot of you don't know, but he is the reason why you heard the song from me called I Smile. Mm. It was Unk. It was Unk that said to me, nephew, that's the one. I want you to go with I Smile. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Good Words. All the way from the Apollo. Yeah. All the way from Family Feud. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. All the way from the Square Toe Gators Come and on. the Sold Out Kings Mentor. Show some love for my uncle, the Steve Harvey. Yeah. Kirk, that's an intro, boy. Did, did I do all right? Did I Dog, do all right? <laughs> I have often considered myself one of the best intro artists ever created in all of show business. I coined the phrase, show your love, back in the early 90s on the Apollo. Yes, sir. But that intro you gave me, that was worthy, man. I appreciate it, brother. Well, you shouldn't be such a great teacher. Now, I've got to ask you a very serious question before we get into this. Mm-hmm. My serious question is, this thing is probably the foundation of your success right here. When did you know that the mustache mm-hmm, was going to be the foundation of your success? Mm-hmm. Because I believe without the mustache, you would not be here today. I would be nothing. <laughs> without the mustache, Kirk, I would be nothing. Books, TV, career, wife, family, grandkids, all of it. <laughs> would be just a figment of somebody's imagination. I am the mustache. I'm glad you reduced all of my endeavors and works down to just a patch of hair on the top of my lip. Kirk, I shaved it off one time. I was in college. I shaved it off one time. What did you think? Biggest mistake I've ever made in my life. That the distance between the tip of my nose and the top of my lip is about four feet. I shaved my mustache off. It looked like a sheet of plywood. 
I've never done it since, man. Listen, I'm not going to get stuck there with you today. As a <laughs> race of people, we've always taken how we look serious. I mean, we know the coin term Sunday best. And mm-hmm. as I know you went to church with Miss Eloise and you got a chance to see people in their Sunday best. Is that where Steve started to get his style reference from? Was it what you saw on Sundays when you saw black folk looking good? Oh, without a doubt. You know, my mom was a Sunday school teacher for 40 years. We went every Sunday, every Sunday night. Monday was prayer meeting. Tuesday night was Bible study. Wednesday (laughs) night was choir rehearsal. Thursday night was off. Friday night was young people meeting. Saturday was bake sale and car wash for the building fund that we never put a doorknob on the church You never, never had enough. Ain't built nothing. We ain't bought a neon cross at our church. The building fund was just an ongoing project. <laughs> and uh, we went all the time. But one of the things, my mother, we had to dress up to go to church. It's not like today, come as you are, which is much better, of course, because it takes the pressure off people of having to have something nice to wear. Yes, I, I do like that about church now. But back in the day, you had to dress up to go to church. And uh, it was where I got my sense of style. You know, people ask me all the time, man, you always in a tie. You feel stuffy. I feel my absolute best when I have a tie on. I like dressing up, man. Fashions have changed for me over the years, you know. But Speaking of that, speaking of that, what Steve Harvey era did you like the most? Was it the colored shirt with shoulder pads or was it the wide let slacks with the gators from Detroit or with the hot top fade? Or or, or how, how were you feeling about this skinny pant uh, uh, that hugged your butt tight, bald headed, saved and sexy Steve Harvey? Like, how do you feel about him? Well, I like the new and improved Steve Harvey, the bald head, the trimmer fitting suits, the more conventional wear. But that dude with the fade high top, with the pants that was 29 at the leg, (laughs) with the suit coach that had to be down to my fingertip, minimum four buttons in the front. Six is what I like, but four buttons in the front. And that dude right there was a huge part of me becoming who I am. I needed that dude, man. That dude from the Kings of Comedy. Mm. That was back when we first met, Kurt. Mm-hmm. Back then, I was I was a wild boy back then, man. Them 90s for me was... Chicago. Chicago, uh, WGCI. Oh, Kurt, when I met you, when you came up there to do that big play in Chicago. Yes, sir. You was doing a big play up there, man. And we used to hang out and eat and... Uh, you know, you started telling me about your faith and uh, you was the first saved person that I liked being around. Wow. You know, wow. because you were real. You understood where I was. You know, you you had a sense of humor. You joked, you laughed. You wow. didn't talk like me. But if it was funny, man, I had to pick you up off the floor because you was mm-hmm. laughing, man. Yes. And I went, wow, man. This dude is a Christian. He's saved, but he laughs and, you know, he allows me to be who I am. And then your music had changed the game. You were the modern day Walter Hawkins. Wow. And you were ushering in a new sound and 
And I was feeling it, man, because I've come from traditional gospel. And you've always had a love for gospel music. There's so many gospel artists that can credit you for even breaking their career, because even though you had a mainstream radio show, man, it's like you put us all on Fred, Yolanda, Donnie, and you were so mad cool. You know, you hosted for years on BET Celebration of Gospel. And, and so now when you were at church with your moms and you were in Cleveland, what was it about Cleveland? And you having to learn how to survive, that you connected all of this with your faith because, you know, you were sleeping in your car, you were showering yeah. in gas stations and just trying to hustle like I slept in my car, too. And what was it about that that connected you and got you through? Well, you know, Cleveland was nasty, man. You had to be a bad dude up there. You know, I have some things in my past that I thank God there's no cyberspace and what no <laughs> video cameras and camera phones and internet because <laughs> I don't even know how. I, <laughs> there's no traces of the damage I done. Mm -hmm. And I thank God for that, man, because that was fair. You know, it was fair for me because he was going to change me anyway and he didn't need no signs of that old dude to be there. But Cleveland made you tough. Mm -hmm. And so when I, when I left Cleveland to pursue comedy and and I lost everything I owned, man. That toughness of Cleveland kind of helped me. But my mother being a Sunday school teacher, her faith, the little stuff, man, I would hear in my car. God didn't bring you this far to leave you. Mm. Don't don't walk away from God, boy. Just turn around. He, he know you're mm. tripping. Just turn around, talk with him. Mm. Those little moments would keep me, man, when I was thinking about giving up. When it looked mm -hmm. like I wasn't going to make it, man. When I, when the phone wasn't ringing, when I ain't had mm. no gigs. I was just out there, man, you know, changing. Uh, I was going through it, man. But that faith, faith is the belief in things you cannot see, right? Yes, sir. And so the fact that I wanted to be a television star, but the fact that I didn't see no way how, that pulled on every piece of thing called faith I had ever learned. Mm. I mean, if faith is the belief in things that you cannot see, and I ain't see no way how, but I'm supposed to keep the faith and believe anyway, mm. that's hard, man. That's hard to do. Amen. And if it wasn't for them scriptures my mother used to quote to me all the time, man, I remember every day going out of school, she would say, today is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Yes, sir. So, I've always been a morning person. I've always been glad to wake up in the morning and appreciate the fact that I was up, right? And so it just kept me in a certain frame of mind, man, where I just always thought about pursuing it. And even when it got dark, Kirk, it wasn't going good for me, man. I thought about quitting like everybody else. I had turn back moments. Me, you, and Deion Sanders was talking about that one time on stage, them turn back moments. And I had them, but I just kept believing, man, God going to come get me some kind of way. How? I didn't know, but that faith was wow. a big part of it. So you are hungry in your car. You are starving in your car. You're depressed in your car, crying mm -hmm. in your car, still dreaming, still believing, still hearing mama's words of encouragement, talking to God. You're angry. You're upset. You're confused. You're trying to find your hope. You go from that to now. Uh, you are now having a street named after you, Steve Harvey Way. And mm -hmm. so you go from this dark into the light. And so you got your faith now. And I would ask you, did your comedy ever conflict with your faith? Like, did your mama ever <laughs> kind of oh. have to? <laughs> did you? Kurt, 
My mother, when she was living, she never saw me live. Really? Because she said, I'm not going to come down there if you're going to be cussing. She said that? Yeah. I'm not going to come down there if you're going to be cussing. And I wasn't allowed to cuss in front of my mother. Mm. And I learned cussing from my father. My father's <laughs> one of the top five cussers ever born <laughs> into this world. He's one of the top five cussers. So I learned cussing from him. But we were not allowed, me and my two brothers, could never use profanity in front of my mother. Not in the house, in the driveway, on the porch. My mother, to my knowledge, has never heard me use profanity. Wow. Because she never came and see me live. My first HBO special with the yellow suit on. She died weeks before that. Wow. And so I was on that cussing. She didn't see it, but she was such an integral part of how that all tied into to who I was, man. And it's always been a conflict for me because, you know, you grow up in the church, you're singing in the gospel pearls, you're a choir member, and then you go off and you leave Cleveland and you're cussing. And all the saints back home talking about, well, he done lost his way now, he out there cussing. <laughs> and my father used to tighten all of them up. He said, you know how much money that boy out there making? <laughs> he said, y'all can get out of my house with all this fake mess right here because if y'all was making the money that boy making, y'all be cussing too. You and your pastor be cussing. So then let me ask you about this then. It's because my mother died before she heard any of my music ever recorded too. She never heard a song. And in the spirit of the conversation that we're having now, I have to ask you something that is really pulling on my heart. What cuss word is your favorite cuss word that you always having to tell God you sorry for using more than any other cuss word in the history of cussingdom? Motherfucker's the one that uh, cost me the most. It's my favorite word because it has gotten more people off of me. You know, I've used that as a weapon. Like if I need your attention, I put say in front of it. Say! And fire it off. If, uh, if I'm trying to warn you, I open it up with look here. Then I say it. Um... Uh, if it's funny, I go, ah, <laughs> and then I hit you with it. It's a, it's a versatile word. It's a word that can, it covers so many things, man. I, I don't know how people that watch your podcast, how they feel about cussing, but cussing has kept me healthy over the years, Kirk. I don't have high blood pressure. I ain't got no ulcers. I suffer from none of that stuff. I'm one of the few 64-year-old people on this planet that ain't on no prescription meds. And uh, I think it's cause of cussing, man, because cussing cleanses me. It helps me. Like, you know, I'm a Christian, but like, I'm the Christian you want, you know. You need Christians like me because everybody, you know, somebody walk in there and slap all the Christians. I'm going to put a stop to that because you're not <laughs> slapping me. So, so listen, listen, because I can't stay here with you because we won't get nothing done because that's so good okay. my soul. Well, you ask me, though. That... <laughs> oh, Lord. But you know what, though, Kirk? Can, can I tell you something? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. The thing about you, man, is you made me understand this about Christianity because... I wasn't saved when we first met. Mm -hmm. I wasn't because I had slid off from that and I wasn't trying to hear that. But you know what you taught me, man, that I'll never forget? And I've never told you this, brother, but the thing you taught me most was, Steve, God ain't asking you to be perfect. 
He asking you to be persistent. Mm. You just told me, man, when you fall, man, just get up and go again. Mm. When you stumble, get up and try again. Ask for forgiveness and keep moving, man. You kept wow. telling me that. Hey, man, when me and you went on tour, wow, and I didn't want to go on tour, because wow. I told you, I said, Kirk, them church folks, man, I come out there and I wanted you to close. You said, Unc, I can't follow you. <laughs> Not at all. You got to go last. I said, Kirk, you can't go up there with all that church stuff. You saying about the Lord, I'm going to come out here and say something. I said, man, my crowd going to hang in there and wait on me, but your crowd going to be hurt. You told me, you said, Steve, we got the same crowd. You told me, you said they come yeah. see you on Saturday night. They come see me on Sunday morning. They the same people. They just wear two different masks. I sure did. And I went, wow, because I wasn't going to do the tour, Kurt. It was one of the best tours I've ever been on. And I'm so humble. Ladies and gentlemen, he took me on tour with him and I was able to do arenas. We sold out in Atlanta. What's the bigger? Phillips? Phipps? Phillips Arena. Phillips Arena, just Steve Harvey and myself. And it was, you know, you've done so much for me, but I don't, you know, as I'm going to try to keep the thug tears from crying. Listen, I want to ask you something as a comedian, Steve. I've always been fascinated by the backstories of comedians and, and how most of them struggle with depression and many famous comedians have committed, you know, suicide. And, and mm. I'm not trying to get too dark right here, but I would right. just love to know from you, why do you feel like comedians often live in spaces emotionally where there's not much private laughter, but they bring so much joy to others? Well, see, comedy is therapy for me, as it is for a lot of people. And what happens, man, is we've become the counselors of the country. And then when that's taken away from you, mm. it darkens you, man. And mm. when you can't go out on stage and have your therapy, mm. it darkens you. Even some comedians, even back in the day, like Lenny Bruce and uh, and Sam Kennison and Bill Hicks, mm. they was too much for the 80s and 90s. They was taking it to the extreme, man. Mm -hmm. And all of them dudes, man, grapple with drugs and depression, even prior, man, in his greatness. Yes. You know, yes. there's some darkness in that, man, and it's a lot of pressure when your job is to bring light to people. I know people think, well, it's just jokes. No, it ain't. Wow. It ain't. If it was just jokes, you, you everybody be out there making this money. Yeah. But it ain't, man. It's only a select few that's able to go out there and really change the way people think. And when I was touring, man, I was proud to say I was one of the guys who gave you something to think about when you came to see me for 90 minutes, man. I bent your ass over, for real. Let me tell you something, not only you, but you doggone kings of comedy, the money and the success and the popularity that you guys had. And, and you don't have to take long, but if you could just give me just a quick snapshot of that moment in time when you and the other brothers came together as the kings of comedy, just give me a snapshot of what that was for you and the whole community of comedians, especially black comedians. Yeah, it started with just me, Bernie, and said, all of us were doing 5,000 seaters by ourselves, mm. maybe 7,500 every now and then. 
when this kid came up to us named Walter Latham and said, I want y'all to come together. I got this idea. I'm going to call y'all the original kings of comedy and we're going to do basketball arenas. We looked at him like he was crazy. Man, we can't sell no 16, 18,000 tickets where they play basketball. What you talking about, man? He said, I believe you can. I got a sponsor, Crown Royal, and they're going to pay us a lot of money. I said, how much? He told us how much. We was looking at him. We said, a night? He said, yeah, man, we'll give you that a night. I said, okay. All right, well, let's go. So we got together and said, well, let's do this one. Get this check and go on about our business. For three and a half years, the kings of comedy never did not sell out a single arena. We performed at every arena in the country. There was no social media, wasn't no IG, wasn't no Facebook, wasn't no nothing. They didn't do no newspaper articles on us. They wouldn't even write about us. They called us the Chitlin Circuit. They had no idea, man, that we go to D.C. to the MCI Center, sell 16,000 tickets on a Friday and Saturday. And then the promoter come back and say, man, we left so many people outside. Let's see if I can get the arena next Friday and Saturday. Would y'all come back? We say, yeah, we go back and sell it out again. 64,000 tickets in D.C. in two weekends. The record is 44,000 at the Georgia Dome. Kings and Queens sold that out. We became a cultural phenom. Yes. The Kings is coming to town. We didn't get an article in the third year until a black dude that worked for USA Today wrote an article about it. Wow. First year, right after the article came out, here come the white boys at MTV want to do a movie. Wow. And wow. we would have made way more on the movie, but somebody panicked and signed too early. And we were all in for favorite nations. I mean, we all agreed to make yeah. the same money. Yeah, yeah. But we probably would have made for that movie that night probably could have got about seven to 10 million each for one night. But Kings of Comedy made a lot of money, man. I can't complain. So, And it showed the power of the black dollar. Unbelievable, Kurt. It showed the power of the black dollar. And black radio. And black radio. Man, 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 thank you for sharing that story with us, man. That is beautiful. Uh, Yo, Unc, how was it for you and the community when you guys lost Bernie? And in your speech at the funeral for Bernie, you said that Bernie was one that started y'all praying before y'all went out on stage. Uh, just tell me how that was for you guys to lose him and just the impact it had on you. It was Bernie died on the morning of the Bud Billiken parade in Chicago. I was hosting. I got in the night before. I woke up and Bernie was in the hospital. So I said, after the parade is over at two, I'm going to go to the hospital. I'm going to see B. I went down to have breakfast that morning at 630. Al Sharpton came in and said, have you heard about your boy, Bernie? I said, no, I'm going to see him today. He said, no, Bernie passed in the middle of the night. I was standing in the lobby there at the Peninsula Hotel. And uh, my bodyguard, Boomerang, was right next to me. And he just grabbed me because my knees just buckled, man. I didn't know what to do. And I was shaking. And the first person I called was my wife. And I told her, Bernie died. She said, what? Are you sure? And I said, yeah. I said, hold on, baby. Let me call you back. Right after that, first person I called said the entertainment. Said, said, oh, what's up? I said, hey, man, did you hear about Bernie? No. And I told him he passed. And he just, he just dropped. 
And then we had to call DL. And we was just sitting there like, what? And next thing you know, we at Bernie's funeral. And they put us up on stage. And everybody talked. And then they said, well, we at that moment, we got to hear from his boys, the kings of comedy. And it felt unreal because there was this huge thunderous applause when all, all three of us went to the mic together. But man, ain't nobody want to do it. Wow. We didn't know what to say. We hadn't planned nothing. We ain't, you know, you know people write speeches and stuff. We didn't have nothing. We hadn't seen each other until the funeral. And now we sitting there and Bernie gone, man. It was, it was so dark for us. And we was trying to put some levity on it because that's all we know to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, man, we was broken. And the kings of comedy, Bernie had just said, man, it's 10 years. I think it's about time. We were just about to begin the conversations of going back out there. Wow. And we was going to do a reunion tour. And and that was it. And so we've had a lot of offers to do the reunion tour. And every time they come with, uh, we're going to replace Bernie with, we go, no, right, no, right. no, you already, you already, you started the sentence wrong. Yeah. You're going to replace Bernie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can't replace yeah. Bernie. More with one of the Kings, Steve Harvey, when Good Words returns from the break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let me ask you this, man. Listen, I want to say to you that that tour, the impact that you guys made, it just, it was the first introduction to Black excellence. Mm -hmm. That is what we first experienced. And Mm -hmm. you have had just a history of doing that. You did it with Showtime at the Apollo. You did it with me and the boys. Uh, You did it with the Steve Harvest show. You did it with all of your cameos. I want to ask you, can we talk for a second about Black famous versus everybody famous? Mm-hmm. Because for a lot of our listeners that may not know our culture, there's a difference. Uh, <laughs> would you agree that when you were doing Showtime at the Apollo, that that was Black famous? <laughs> when did you realize that you started to become everybody famous? Do you remember what job it was? Because, you know, you've had... 972 jobs, you know, which one was it? Well, you know, Kirk, I have been telling white folks in Hollywood 
that I was everybody famous a long time ago. And I wish they would quit pigeonholing me because black famous is different from everybody famous. See, but I was okay with black famous because black famous was the Apollo. Black famous was the Kings of Comedy Tour. Black famous was, see, I would do the show, me and the boys, but my whole cast was black. Mm-hmm. When I did the mm-hmm. Steve Harvey show, the whole main cast was black with the exception of Bullethead. But that mm-hmm. was only because back in the day, the WB required that you put a white person on the show. And Bullethead was a really cool little dude. So, and then Celebration of Gospel, I did for 13 years because I wanted to always remain black famous to mm-hmm. black people because I knew I had a responsibility to them. I knew that it was important that I represented black people on a high level everywhere I went. So I always knew that. But I'm going to tell you, man, actually, the thing that flipped it was the book I wrote in 2009. That was the beginning of the change for me. I told them, I've been knowing that God was going to do something spectacular for me. What it was, I didn't know and when and how he was going to flip the script and, and click the switch. But the book began to change because I sold over 6 million copies of this book. That's after the book was stolen so many times on the internet. But, but what happened after that was they came to me with Family Feud. They came to me with the Steve Harvey show, the talk show, and that was it. I've been on Family Feud 11 years. I'm in 76 million households. It ain't but 35 million black people in this country. Mm -hmm. I'm in Mm -hmm. 76 million. And all the black people don't watch this 35 million. The eight-year-olds don't have TVs yet. (laughs) So we can't even count them. And then the old people that's in homes. So that, that was a change for me. That made it. And here's the difference between being black famous and white famous. And here's the difference between black celebrities and white celebrities. Talk to us. Guess what? Black people, black celebrities are the only one that's responsible for their whole race. Mm. White famous people don't owe white people nothing. Black famous people, you owe everybody everything. Wow. I wow. remember you when you wasn't. They don't say that to Brad Pitt. Ain't nobody Ooh. said that to George Clooney. Mm. They don't say that to Angelina Jolie. They don't say that to Jennifer Anderson. Don't nobody say that to Ellen. I remember when you wasn't, no. But walk up to a black person. You finna find out your <laughs> ass wasn't about lotty da to I started watching your monkey ass. And you're responsible for it. And now you owe us. Yeah. White folks ain't gotta be role models or none of that. Mm. Black people, yo, you, Kirk Franklin, you can't make a mistake. Mm. Mm. Boy, they'll ride you like a rented mule if you make a mistake. Mm. Jimmy Swaggart can do what he want to (laughs) do. And next thing you know, he got a brand new, bigger church. Yeah. He back. Yeah. Facts. All you got to do is not take white folk money and you can make a comeback. Let me ask you this, Unc. In the spirit of this conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, because for me, you have always been transparent like this. Mm-hmm. You have always shared your vulnerability, your ups and downs. Uh, you love being black. You love black mm. excellence. Is I want to ask you a vulnerable question right here. When writing your book, um, the book Think Like a Man, because you've written so mm-hmm. many, um, did you ever have any trepidation that because you experienced some previous marriages that didn't last, 
that it would be challenging to build confidence in your audience to trust your voice? Come on, man. I knew what they was going to say. How he going to tell us about marriages? He on his third one. Well, at least I know how to get somebody. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm trying to help your lonely ass sitting over there. Can't get nobody. At least I know how to get somebody. I might mess it up. But I bet you I can get somebody, which is You're a real one which down. is the main problem of people out there now. You can't get nobody. And if I can tell you what you're doing wrong, because I made so many mistakes mm. and I know how to be a man, I done set so many traps for chicks <laughs> over the years. How I can't tell you what the trap look like. Yeah. The name of the book is Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man. The name of the book ain't act like me and do like me. Right. You can't do what I do and still get to where you trying to be. See, if a man go to work and screw every woman in his office, when he come to work the next day, other than the Me Too movement, guess what's going to happen to him? He Mr. Jackson when he come to work. Yeah. You let a woman screw more than one person or anybody on the job, and they got all types of names for her. So it's a double standard that ain't fair, it ain't good, and all my book was trying to do was trying to teach women how to play the game. From the experiences that I had from tricking women, from listening to my partners trick women, and then to turn around and finally realizing, hold up, man, you really tricking yourself. Wow. Because in order for you, Steve, to really get to real manhood, you're going to have to put somebody's daughter on a pedestal and leave her there and make her your queen and your queen only. See, that's why you are in a league of your own, Unc. That's why. That's why you're in a league of your own. And, and see, that's why I'm so glad you're here because you have this wealth of knowledge of success and mistakes that you're willing to just be this open book. How can we all make sure that we are being uniquely ourselves while letting go of what's not working? Well, look, man. Everybody's journey different. My walk ain't your walk. You know, I have Christians looking at me talking about, I don't know how you call yourself saved. I still hear you cussing. Well, hold up. But you don't know what I used to do, though. Mm -hmm. See? And so what's stopping a lot of people is they trying to fit into these all these different boxes and categories. When God made each one of us uniquely different, ain't none of us got the exact same path we own. Nobody. Yes. Hey, man, you told me the best thing one time. You said one of these books you had wrote, and I use this all the time. You said when your car needs fixing, they have an owner's manual in the glove compartment. Mm. And if you got a Chevy in your glove compartment is an owner's manual to the Chevy that you bought. Mm. Ain't no Toyota manual in there and everything. Mm. If you need to troubleshoot, you go to the owner's manual from the Mm. makers of that automobile and they tell you exactly what to do to get your blinker fixed, how to change your oil, everything. So you can get that car back on the road and running right. Well, we all have an owner's manual, according to Kirk Franklin, and it's a Bible. It's the same one that created us. He got a manual that can fix us when we go off track. But what people do is they keep trying to fit into everybody else's expectations. And Mm. now these young people, as my sons have taught me, they got Instagram out here now, which ain't nothing but the highlight reel of somebody's life. That ain't really how she looked. Wow. 
And so with Instagram being what it is today and everybody on here doing all of these IG moments, you get fooled and you get to see. Amen. And you don't know Amen. what's what. You got to be uniquely you. You Kirk Franklin. You can't be Steve Harvey. I'm Steve Harvey. I can't be Kirk Franklin. Quit looking over there at what Kirk doing. You can't do what Kirk do. Hey, man, you change gospel music. And now everybody that can't sing All go right. in the choir and talk <laughs> in front of them now. No, and don't. Uh-uh. No, no, wait, hold wait. up. No, 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 Kirk. And they don't even know how to do it right. It's one Kirk Franklin. Now everybody I know. Come on, sing. That's Kirk. Kirk do that. Unk, 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 I got to bring you back. I got to bring you back. Oh, okay, my gosh. I was going is, too far. Ooh. Did you ever imagine that you would have the life that you have now? Heck no. I ain't see this coming, Kirk. And it killed me when people say, I always knew I'd be here. How did you know you'd be here when you ain't know where it was? So that help people like me who sometimes fear is the enemy of their opportunities. How how did you allow yourself to think that big? I mean, I mean, Showtime at the Apollo Kings, man, Family Feud, uh, little big shots, um, New Year's Eve's uh, hosting, and like, how did you have the confidence to not have limits to your dreams? Because check this out. Everything, I discovered this, everything God has for you, he places it in your imagination. Mm. It's there. Everything he has for you, he causes you to imagine it. You daydream about it. You can't hide it. Albert Einstein said, imagination is everything. It's to preview the life's coming attractions. You keep imagining. What happens to people is they ignore their imagination because they think it's just some hocus pocus. It's not. Mm -hmm. God places the future he has for you in your imagination. Mm. The problem is you tell your imagination to the wrong people. See, if you take your big dreams and tell it to a small minded person, your ass is in trouble. You in dog deep doo-doo trouble because you done just told something that God put solely in your imagination. If he had wanted it in her imagination or his imagination, he'd have put it in their head. But he put it in your head. Quit telling people everything you imagine because they ain't going to be able to see it. Mm. Faith is the belief in things that you cannot see. Faith, look, okay, hold on. Let me, let me show you this right here. Faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Yes. The evidence of things not seen is your imagination. Mm. You know why they call it unseen? Because can't nobody see it but you. Yes, yes. It's the evidence, but it's your evidence. It ain't for them. So I didn't see none of this happening for me. But the things I could imagine, he did exceedingly and abundantly Way past what I thought I asked. I asked for a comfortable life and I asked to be relevant. Mm. I had no idea he would make me this comfortable. And instead of making me just relevant, he made me global. Now that's God right there. So then let me ask you this then, Unc. Let me ask you this. I feel where you're tracking and I get it, but there's still somebody listening to you. Somebody's still listening and they're doing the work and still not getting the results. What do you say to those people? 
See, the push that's required to be successful is very difficult. And the push is so difficult that it's going to make the average person is going to turn back before the script gets flipped and the switch get clicked. See, so when you're going through them dark moments, all it is is a test of your faith. Preach. Do you really believe I can bring you through anything but set through this? But here the fact, though, Kurt, I understand you're getting discouraged. That's human nature. I get discouraged sometimes because I want things from God. I want it done in my time. And when it ain't done in my time, I start sometimes doubting in myself. But I get right back on track because you know why? There isn't a human being living that's going through something right now can tell me one thing that God has not allowed them to get through, gotten them past, or is currently pulling them through. You can't name one thing that God never let you get over. You mm. can't name a single thing that God somehow didn't bring you through. Facts. You can't name one. Facts. Your track record for surviving funky days is 100%. Facts. That's everybody. But we get so hung up on it ain't happening now. It ain't going to happen now. Success is hard, man. I tell mm. my kids all the time, take a long time, make a lot of money. Sitting up in here, you done looked on thing and you see Cardi B got a Birkin bag. Well, you ain't Cardi B. Mm. What is you worried about what Cardi B got? Cardi yeah. B got the yeah. life she got. Cardi B ain't a stripper no more. She paid her price. Yes. Cardi B exactly where she need to be. Quit looking at everybody else's route. One comedian told me, damn, man, when you going to give somebody else a chance to get the job? Wait a minute, hold up, partner. If I don't take the job of hosting Miss Universe, you think they was going to call you? You really, you really think they should call you, dog? I took the gig because they called me and asked me to do the gig. Your name was not on the list. I promise you, if Steve Harvey didn't take the list, the next person was white because all the rest of them for me was white. Mm. So now why mm. is your black ass talking to me like I'm supposed to stop being who I am so you can get to be who you are? You wow. are who you are because you thought yourself into the position that you are today. And if you just hang in there, you're going to be in another position tomorrow and the day after that. And let me say this, Unc. you said something a minute ago about social media. And I do think that a lot of dreamers and a lot of people with talents, I believe social media has become the best and worst thing for mm. a lot of people because you're right. They, they see the chapters that people want them to see. They see the filters, but they don't get to see the real picture. Mm. And so people are responding to the end of the building, but they're mm. not responding to the nails and the wood and the sweat <laughs> and, and going home funky and getting a staple stuck in your toe. And, and you know, they're not yeah. seeing that. I want to ask you this, though, is I want to ask you, because everybody wants to have what you have, uh, everybody wants to be successful. And because this is a capitalist country, a lot mm -hmm. of that is just the byproduct of the society we live in. But now with this pandemic and social injustice and, and sky high unemployment, is I want to ask you this as an OG, because now you're a triple OG, you know, you are the godfather mm -hmm. for a lot of us. When you are now enjoying the fruits of your labor and we see you getting off your private jet and we see you on the yacht and we see you chilling and enjoying the fruits of your hard labor, mm -hmm. hungry people that have hungry dreams and really want to be successful, how do you balance out what they see as the end of the chapter 
versus the reality of what it takes to get there? How do you balance out those images? It's two things. And that's a great question. That's the best question I've been asked, Kirk, because it is a balancing act and you got to be careful what you post and what you show because everybody don't take it the right way. You know, it's enough haters out there. Why? I don't want to see you on no boat. I don't care about your wife skiing and all this here. But here's the deal. It is tough to balance what you show because of the haters out there. But I also have to remember there are some people who are looking for inspiration. Mm. So if you don't see J&B's house online somewhere, I told Jay-Z at the gold party a couple years ago when he bought that house out in Bel Air for 80 mil, I said, hey, man, I just want to see it because I ain't never been in an $80 million crib before. And he got a deal on it. I just want to go see what $80 million crib look like because that inspires me, mm. you know? And so there are people out there who are looking for inspiration. And so I try to drop jewels and nuggets to them and I can't worry about the haters. But then at the same time, I have to try to be so transparent so a people can see in my struggle, their struggle, and realize that there's something on the other side of the struggle. Mm-hmm. See, if I never told a person I was homeless, I never told a person that I stole. If I never told a person, man, that I got a bunch of relationships wrong. If mm-hmm. I never told a person, man, that I know what it feel like to get it all wrong, to mess your life completely up, recover and make a comeback. My story about success don't mean nothing. Mm. Just like Donald Trump talking about uh, he built his empire off his father giving him a million dollars. Okay, yeah, that's true. But what they didn't tell you is that when his father died, that the kids split 800 million. Now, if you give me 200 million, (laughs) y'all need to cut some cameras on and and watch the show because I'm going to show you. Mm-hmm. how to flip this 200 million because give me 200 million, I'm going to be a billionaire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and so my transparency is to show people how to get there. People don't care nothing about looking at successful people and you, y'all got to get off the line looking at people who only show you their success. You got to have talk to people that show you their journey, that willing to be transparent and show you what really happened to how they got there. Because this ain't, ain't nobody puffed the magic dragon. Your yeah. ass ain't just showed up and you it. Yeah. You didn't get to be Kirk Franklin. Dog, I remember you when you was in Fort Worth yes, with sir. that little vest on. <laughs> With a high top. I remember you, dog. Dog. Yes, sir. I knew your wife. I knew your wife mm-hmm. before you even met her. Yeah. yeah. Just to come to the comedy club. Yes, little sir. Little bitty little girl. Yes, sir. Just as cute. Yes, sir. They don't know what you did to get here. They don't know them little churches and them little non-paying gigs. And yeah, you singing and then they talking about, well, I sure hope you bless us tonight. <laughs> we didn't collect enough. A dog, what? See, I couldn't have been no. You was a gospel, so you had to go through that. They didn't see that. They just see the final product. But you got to listen to Kirk's story. You got to listen to people's story. And the people that you're listening to, if they're not willing to be transparent, go follow somebody else who will tell you the truth about the journey. Was there ever a moment while sleeping in your car that you felt like the God that your mama taught you about had let you down? Deserted me, man. Cold. Point blank done forgot about me. How could you? Mm. Mm. How could you let this happen to me? 
sitting up in here, man. I ain't got no dough. I ain't got a bathroom. Hmm. I ain't got no phone. I ain't got no money. Hmm. How you going to let this happen to me? Hmm. God didn't bring you this far to leave you. Hmm. So it occurred to me, if God didn't bring me this far to leave me, God hasn't deserted me. I had a real come to Jesus moment in my car. In word, you deserted him. <laughs> he didn't turn his back on you. Come on, man. Come on, man. You turned your back on him. Come on. And, and we don't have that conversation. Dog, you got to be real with yourself yes, now. Yes, sir. So for everybody that's blaming God for your mishap. Come on, man. Hold on, hold on, hold on, man. Let's talk about your role in all come of this. Come on, man. We don't, come on, man. You know, come on, where man. we at? You yes, know, sir. Jesus didn't put you in prison. You shot his ass. <laughs> Yeah. Now, the yeah. fact that you got busted and you prayed that the Lord, that you didn't get caught, yeah. that ain't how it worked, yeah. partner. Yeah. Now, there's some people locked up that shouldn't be locked up. Yes. But there's some people in there that know good and well. What I've heard too many brothers come out and say, best thing happened to me was I got locked up. Slowed me down, made me see something about myself. Well, I was sitting in that car, man, thinking God had deserted me and blaming him. And then I kept thinking about this. Well, dog, but he's still keeping you, though. You down, but you ain't out. So let me ask you this, Unc. With you, you seem to have gotten everything that you've asked God for since that moment. When you got real with God and God opened up the doors, now I got to ask you, what are you asking God for now? Oh, it's crazy. Oh, it's crazy. I really can't. See, remember what I told you earlier? I said, you can't tell big dreams to small-minded people. What I ask God for, and I'm not saying people that viewing this are small-minded. It's just that I'm very careful with letting the plan out the bag before it comes to fruition because I know that the devil hears me talk to God and devil got imps that's at work 24-7. So I'm kind of careful with what I do because there's some imps out there ain't got nothing to do except throw the hate game out there. Mm. I don't know who he think he is, why he got to be a billionaire. Ain't you got enough money? Yeah. Yeah, I got enough. I got enough. But what they got to do with me wanting some more? Mm -hmm. Because I've seen what it can do for other people. Mm -hmm. See, I don't need a billion dollars to change my life drastically. Mm -hmm. My billion dollars is going to change so many more lives drastically. You know how many more people I can hire? How many more yes. positions I can put yes. people in? Yes. How many more camps? How many more ranches I can buy and open it up permanent structures? Like my main goal right now, I'll tell you one of them, is to get permanent housing facilities where I can have 700 boys at one time sleeping in buildings instead of tents and renting outdoor bathrooms. And Kirk, you done been in my camp. I can't count the times you done came through for me. And it's incredible. And so I want to do stuff like that. But I need some more money because what I don't understand, I don't like asking people for money. I very rarely ask people to donate to my foundation. Mm -hmm. You know, I got some people who do donate and I got to get in my pocket. I got to go to work and cut deals to make it happen. But if I got a billion dollars, I'm not finna ask nobody else for a quarter. Miss me. I just do it myself. And so that's one of the things. I mean, you know, I'm doing work globally now, man. I'm in Africa working. I leave in a few weeks for Africa. I'm in the UAE. I mean, I'm in business. I'm in business that ain't got nothing to do with show business. You know, 
I'm just letting God do me now. I'm in the uh, call part of my life. You know, I'm in the calling part. I've fulfilled all of my professional goals. I've been on enough TV. I'm I'm doing good with that. I ain't no TV shows. I, I got a new show that may come out this fall. They asked me to do that I created. I'm thinking about doing it. Steve, there's no more room on TV for you. I'm just saying there's no more. You've taken 800 all. channels, Kurt. <laughs> 800 channels. And you are on and you are on 796 yeah, and of old. them. And I'm old, Kurt. <laughs> but I'm so fly though, man. That's the only thing about it though. Super fly. As I'm seeing you in your skinny suits. Listen, listen, listen. <laughs> they ain't skinny as yours though. <laughs> when we get back, Uncle Steve drops some more wisdom on us. Plus your boy gives him a little test of his old school cred. More good words, y'all, after the break. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. If these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. <laughs> You just talked about the Steve Harvey Foundation, in which I've had a chance to work mm-hmm. with. It's an incredible organization. All the things you do for these young black men, it is incredible. All the things that you and your wife are running together. And so with all of this, and you're still dreaming, and you're not getting tired of dreaming, even though mm-hmm. you've had ups and downs, and you fought through them and success and failures, and you're an, an amazing author the radio show, you keep breaking albums and you keep celebrating music. Uh, I'm asking you now, man, because you have transformed my life. You've given me mm-hmm. wisdom over and over and over again. Somebody's listening to us right now, Steve. Somebody's listening. There's some dreamers listening. There's some people that feel like that maybe their time has passed. You're 64 years old. Your yeah. book came out, what, what, what were you, 52? 11 years ago. 53, 52, yeah. 52 years old when you went from black famous to everybody famous. Man. 52, 52. And it wasn't too late. That's why I want you to go with this. Somebody's listening right now that feels like their dreams have an expiration date. Can you give a word of advice for somebody listening? Colonel Sanders had started frying chicken in his 20s. He took his recipe all over the South. He fried chicken for every restaurant, anybody that would taste his chicken. He went to fast food places. He went to New Orleans. He went everywhere. No, no, no. We don't like it. We don't like it. We don't like it. He almost gave up. But he said, if I can't do nothing else, I can fry chicken. Do you know that Colonel Sanders did not get his first franchise until he was in his 60s. What? Why you think the pitch on the bucket? He already owned. <laughs> he, he didn't, it didn't pop off for him. He had white hair, 
had that little oh country ass bow tie on. <laughs> he already old on the bucket. That was his current picture <laughs> that they put on the bucket. <laughs> That's the picture when he hit it. He said, man, I've been trying to sell this chicken. I want my picture on the bucket. That's the picture. The colonel didn't hit it to the end. No, he'd have been and put the 25-year-old picture on the bucket. It would look better. He got the picture that he hit it. And so when people say that it's too late for them, how can it be too late to be successful? Mm. When is it too late to hit it? Mm. When is it over for you and if God say him? So just imagine this. Suppose you hang in there with your dreams. Suppose you dust them off and you keep pursuing them. Let's say you're in your 60s. And let's mm. just say one day out of nowhere, God doing what he do as only he can do, mm. come along and say, bless you. Mm. And just do that. Do you know if God put his finger on anything? His finger. His finger. His finger. Boy, do you know his finger? <laughs> Push, he gonna blow that up. But now guess what? You got to give him something to put his finger on. That's good. That's good. See, so why would you stop doing the thing that burns in you when you don't know when he going to touch it? If he touch it in his 60s, so what? Yes. Look, man, I want to be a billionaire. I ain't even close, but I, in my mind, I'm close. Mm. But in the numbers, I'm not close to a billion. I'm closer to 100 million than I am to a billion. Mm. But okay, but when he touch it, though, mm. Mm. I'm going to be here. Mm. Warren Buffett, 80-some years old, still driving cars. Yes. He, he tried to get in the deal a few months ago. He just said, I'm going to put $4 billion in it. Wow. Warren Buffett said, I'm going to put $4 billion in it. They turned him down. He said, all right, let me know how much more he needs. Let me know and y'all call me back. I heard it. On a phone call, he said, I'll put $4 billion in it. I was sitting there going, I was in a meeting one time, Kirk, with Magic Johnson. I tell Magic this story all the time. And excuse me, but this is exactly how it went. We were in this big meeting. Swipe dudes was in the meeting. We in Magic Johnson's office. And this only happened a few years ago. We were talking about this big project. And a group of men said, we have $200 billion. And so he kept talking. And they talked for about 20 seconds. And I'm looking around the room, and I, I just slammed on the desk. I said, hey, 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 ho, 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 ho. I'm the only one who heard this in here. Is I'm the only one that's tripping out right now. I said, hey, man, did your ass say you had $200 billion? He said, yes. I said, y'all done heard this shit before? <laughs> Somebody has heard this figure before? Because it's the first time I've heard the figure. I didn't, I've never heard a person say they had $200 billion. I stopped the meeting and I'm looking around the room with these white folks and I'm sitting there going, no, 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 no. You're not finna sit here. And I'm like, I'm the only one surprised at this figure. Who in here done heard of 200 billion? The white dude said, I'm so glad you said something because the shit almost puked on myself. <laughs> and I was just so happy to hear the white dude say, thank you, Steve. Oh, God. I almost shit. I couldn't believe it. He said 200 billion. Yeah, let's talk about this moment. Because where am I yes. going? To... This dude said he had $200 billion. What? Yes. And the fact that you are blessed to be at that table. Dog. 
How how incredible. I'm at the how table incredible. listening to this. And how incredible it is that I get to sit at the table with you because I get to live vicariously and learn vicariously what it is to sit at that table. And I think that people can learn to do that. Sometimes we're so mad that we're not at the table that we can align ourselves <laughs> with those that have been at the table and we get to vicariously learn and educate ourselves. So that's the part that I want to thank you for, is I want to thank you for all of these life nuggets. I want to thank you for being a triple OG, is I want to thank you for being a trendsetter, is I want to thank you from the years that you were a boxer to when you mm. were fixing cars to when you were selling insurance and then you would vacuum the people's carpet because you were selling vacuum cleaners and then you were a mailman. So that meant that you dropped off their mail after you cleaned their carpet. I just want to thank you for doing all that. And ladies and gentlemen, he's a music man. He is a music man. This man has helped my career. And Unc, before I let you go, I need to just say a couple of lines to a couple of songs because I want them to know that you are a real one. Please finish, Bishop, Elder Doctor, the lyrics to this line right here. Joy and pain. Joy and pain. Sunshine and rain. Come on, do myself joy. Okay. Boy, that was okay, a now cut. I got another song. And pain. And I got another song. Okay, okay so finish this one. Finish this one. Three o'clock in the morning, talking about how she gonna make it right. Three o'clock in the morning, Ooh. talking about Ooh. how she can make it right. Mm-mm-mm. Whoa. Mm. Love and happiness. Yes! Love and happiness. Hey! Yes! (laughs) Yes! Hey! Yes! Come on, boy, that was a cut. Okay. One more, one more, one more, one more. Feel me. I want to feel Feel the fire. Feel me. I want to feel the fire. Boy, let me tell you something. I can't sing like them, but the emotion yeah, I have. Yes, sir. Tied yes, to sir. it. Yes, sir. You know, I can't hear keys <laughs> like you, but the emotion of it. Yes, sir. Now, can't nobody outfeel me with this music thing. I know. Now, I, I know. I know when I hear it, man. Yes, sir. I, yes, you sir. know, I would have been up if my mom and them had money, man, I could have actually played keyboards. Because I know how to hit chords, but I, we ain't have no money for no lessons. Your ass ain't finna take no money out this house, play no damn piano. You better go out here and get this wagon, hustle, eat pop all. <laughs> but boy. Well, brothers and sisters, he got money now. He got success now. He's I got a piano. I got a piano in my house playing damn self, Kurt. 
<laughs> ladies and gentlemen, please, please help me thank somebody who has impacted my life and the lives of so many, so many others. I'm so proud of him. Uh, he's one of my heroes and I owe him. I owe him so much. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me thank the Steve Harvey. Yes. Thank you for having me, black man. I love you, boy. You're one of my favorite people on earth. Once I was on the flight from Dallas to New York City, and when I boarded the plane and we pulled back from the gate, as I noticed that we were stuck on the plane for a while without really getting on the runway, and after about 20, 30, 40 minutes, you could start feeling uh, just the energy of people getting irritated and confused because no one was letting us know what was happening. And then we were stuck on the runway for about almost another 30, 40 minutes. No one was saying anything and you could feel the irritation even getting stronger and stronger. And so after a while, we pulled back to the gate and now people are very upset, people are pissed, they're angry. And the pilot said to us that we've got to be able to wait for a second and we'll fill you in when we get more information. But we can't let you off the plane right now. So once again, people are very upset. And now we're in a position that we're not having all the full information. So we don't even know why we're delayed, which makes being delayed even more difficult because you don't have all the information. After two hours, the pilot finally informed us there was a storm that no one saw coming between Dallas and New Jersey, where there were several planes in the air that got stuck in the middle of the storm. So air traffic control was trying to navigate these emergency landings of all these other planes because there was a storm. And I'm glad he explained that because I called New York and I said, man, what is happening in New York? Are y'all having bad weather? He said, no, man, it's beautiful here. Hurry up and get here. But in between where I was and where I was going, there was a storm where other planes were trying to get settled in this emergency situation. So air traffic control was able to sit high above the situation and could see what I couldn't see. So really my delay was not a denial, it was really protection. Because if we would have taken off, we would have ran into other planes and we would have been in the middle of a storm. And so many people are stuck with their dreams, stuck where they are, and they're trying to figure out why won't God let me take off? Or why isn't anything happening with my goals and my desires? A lot of times where you are is protection from the bigger problems that you can't see because you can only see the situation you're in right now. God is trying to navigate your life and other lives. And so he knows exactly what he's doing because he's navigating not only your dreams, but the dreams of others. And he's going to make it all work in the right time, in the right space, in the right place. If we will just sit back and relax, even though it may get frustrating, even though there may be people complaining, you've got to trust the person sitting high above where you are that is navigating your future. And here's the beautiful part of the story. When I did take off, I landed still on time. I was going to New York for a concert. So when I got there, I was still able to do what I was called to do, and I didn't miss a beat. It is never too late. Colonel Sanders took off, and you can see when he took off because his picture is on the bucket. This is your boy, Kirk Franklin. It's never too late for you. I'm so excited to see what God does with your future. Thank you for rocking with me. Thank you for rocking with the Steve Harvey and listening to these good words. Mm -hmm.
thank y'all so much for listening to Good Words with Kirk Franklin. Man, if you're loving what we're doing here, please, please take a little time out and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Man, y'all have no idea how much I appreciate that y'all would even welcome me into this space. And I really want to continue on this journey with you. So help your uncle out by showing your support and let's keep putting some good words out into the world. Good Words with Kirk Franklin is a collaboration between For Your Soul Entertainment, Sony Music, Provident Entertainment, and Spoke Media. We're produced by Trey Jones and Cody Hoffmuckle with help from Alicia Forrest, Janielle Kastner, and Hebron Mendez. Our executive producer is Keisha T.K. Dutess with Aaliyah Tabakolian and Keith Reynolds. This episode was mixed by Will Short. The rest of our team is Reese Brooks and Michael Havens from For Your Soul, Ron Hill and Phil Thornton from Provident Entertainment. And a very special thank you to the Sony Podcast team. Let's go.